black women were the toughest people to come out to, uh, but also the most supportive. Uh, I, I'm very, very thankful for all of the uh, the black ladies in my life, you know, who supported me through that, through all of it, all of it. They're not, they're not homophobic at all. They're racist as a motherfucker. They don't like that I had a white boyfriend. Oh my, see? You see what I'm saying? You see that chain? You can be gay, but nigga, what? Oh, you date white boys? Really? Is that a shock? Surprise, surprise. No more secrets. I'm going to tell y'all. Yeah, yeah, yes. Wow. What? She feels... You, you heard her say, wow? That's the sound of a black woman that feels doubly betrayed. My sister was on that shit, too. I, I, listen, you can't... I'm used to it. I grew up just in the hood on some, like, real strong masculine shit. It's, it, it plays out... <laughs> Look, I'll say this. I actually think that... It's important to say this. I believe in the black family. I think that black men should marry black women and have black babies and raise them to be smart just good citizens educated I, I think that's very very important a hundred percent I think gay black men should be able to fuck whoever the fuck we want what is the consequence Hi, I'm Madeline, and I'm a writer and a cultural critic. I'm Dave. I'm a comedian and proud sag after actor. Welcome to Genre Reveal Party, where we talk about TV and movies through the lens of genre, its definition, its limits, and what we can learn by exploding them. Each episode, one of us chooses a TV show or movie to discuss with spoilers, because you don't need to have watched the thing to enjoy the podcast. We are on the final episode of our first season, our Family Matters season here. So congratulations to us. Uh, congratulations <laughs> to you for for listening. Mm -hmm. Just congratulations all around. Um, we're going to talk about Gerard Carmichael's most recent stand-up special, Rothaniel. But first, we have a guest, uh, Tim Barnes. Tim, I know from doing stand-up in Chicago. I so I write these the scripts for the the summaries and the intros. And Tim, I literally spent five minutes going. I know Tim Barnes from doing stand-up in Chicago. And then I was like, well, does that mean that Tim did stand-up or that I did stand-up? And then I was like, I know Tim Barnes from doing stand-up together in Chicago. And I was like, well, I want to make it clear that Tim started before I did. That's always, seniority is always really important. We never had a double act. And then I was like, I know Tim Barnes from doing stand-up around each other in the Chicago and it and it just sounded like gibberish at a certain point so i just wanted to like point to that to allow just just some space for the absurdity of like here's a comedian i'm a comedian this uh, we both lived in chicago at one point one of us lives in new york now um it, how how did do does that feel have i captured the somewhat random yeah. nature of I think a you should still be a, deep 
Yeah, go ahead. You'd be as scientific as possible. Like, talk about, like, uh, our rotation around our, the gravitational pull of standard. Like, we're, we're on a, in a solar, in a, in a constellation oh, wow. of... We met as, Our size uh, as, as planets, the- who was the Jupiter, who was <laughs> yeah. the Venus of the scene. Wow. Well, yeah. I'm... Uh, I'm... Uh, I'm... Uh, I'm the Pluto that's constantly people. Sometimes it's a stand-up. Sometimes it's not a stand-up. Um, but yeah, Tim is a great dude. Very funny. Was recently on my other podcast. This is your afterlife. Uh, lives in New York now. Has written for the Tonight Show. Has two newsletters: a uh, topical sci-fi and short fiction newsletter called Alternate Timeline, and his weekly letters from African America. So. Correct. Have I have I covered your? Do you feel well represented? I feel uh, uh, wonderfully represented. I think everyone's uh, bios are extremely chaotic in this time, and and I feel represented in that way. I've got newsletters. I'm on whatever threads now. I I don't know. <laughs> You're more active on threads than Blue Sky. You did. You were the first person on This Is Your Afterlife to give me your Blue Sky profile. I was like, yeah, I'm yeah. not linking this shit. <laughs> I was like, I haven't done a Blue Sky profile yet. I'll say if I go back in, I'll re-edit it. But, um. That's actually a new thing I'm doing on the Letters of Ma- from African America Substack is I'm just like every morning um, uh, emailing five jokes based, like five topical jokes. And that's like my big, uh, instead of like throughout the day randomly posting stuff, I just write five jokes in the morning, send those out. And then that's my complete like internet joke writing time complete so i don't have to figure out yeah you know the blue sky that's a daily newsletter a daily yeah yeah through the letters from african america substack that's what i impressive yeah yeah it feels good like a bank of them or no it's all i just figured out in the morning like one came out literally yeah every at 11 uh est eastern standard time it comes out and so this is how it's also good because like i want to wake up and process the news anyway so i just force myself to look at look for like interesting things going on try and write five jokes send it out and then i don't even think about twitter i used to think about twitter all day now i do that in the morning it's like yeah that's really yeah very life hack (laughs) (laughs) well i can't think of a less like topical uh sort of a a a a, a a piece of stand-up that less has that approach than Roth Daniel. <laughs> I know. Uh, <laughs> very, very opposite of, like, what's in the news uh, this yeah. morning sort of situation. It kind of became news. Yeah. Uh, I, I didn't realize that it was released. Well, I, I remembered, rather, that it was released on April Fool's Day, 2022, which is odd given that the big thing about this special is – Gerard reveals he's gay in this special. It's like, you're really like tempting fate by putting that out on April (laughs) Fool's Day. Yeah, it's true. But this is his third stand-up special, uh, second one directed by Bo Burnham. Uh, And I wanted to, uh, rather than go sort of like beat by beat through the special, I wanted to kind of show how Gerard got here. He has a kind of body of autobiographical work for HBO that led to this. So here is my sort of tracing of that arc. So in October 2014, his debut special, directed by Spike Lee, it's called Love at the Store, filmed at the Comedy Store. I remember first hearing about Gerard and how he had this kind of like very quick rise through the stand-up ranks in L.A. And it was like, oh, it, it seems like he's thinking of jokes. He doesn't even write. 
he's mm-hmm. he's going up like as as he's on stage he's he's figuring it out and so it was like kind of being known for this like improvisational sort of unhurried style but rewatching love at the store i was like this is not there are no spaces in yeah. these jokes and it's an intentionally kind of edge lordy special like he has a joke so this is october 2014 he has a joke about how gay marriage could be legalized if, quote, gay people toned down the parades. You know, a fine <laughs> premise, whatever. But this is less than a year before gay marriage actually becomes legalized. And it was just like wild to realize that it hasn't even been 10 years of gay marriage yeah. being legal. Who knows? Maybe it won't even be, you know, we, it seems like <laughs> a lot of rights could get rolled back very quickly. But. Um, also in that special, he has a joke about grandfathers, plural, just the the concept of a grandfather, of a cheating grandfather. Mm. Okay. Then in 2017, his next special comes out called Eight. Uh, this is the first one directed by Bo Burnham. And it's a very visual statement. It's filmed in this ornate building. Gerard is standing on stage in a jean jacket and Timberlands with – he's in the round and he's surrounded by people in formal wear. Now the pace is way more deliberate. He's giving space to jokes. He's taking time in between. He's like really making eye contact with the audience. And he still loves to preface jokes by saying things like, this is going to sound dark or you're not going to like this. But the edgelordy stuff has become more personal. It's, 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 it's got, um, it's got details to it, like specifically the joke I think of from Eight um, that that represents what I love about Eight stylistically is he's talking about supporting the troops, how he supports the troops hypothetically, um, and then he has a jo- and then he's about to s- set up a thing where he says if a if a troop comes in and orders extra cheese on his sandwich at Subway and Gerard worked at Subway, he wouldn't charge him for the extra cheese. So he's like, not going to give him the sandwich for free, but he wouldn't, he wouldn't charge him for the extra cheese. But he knows that the word troop as a singular is funny. Mm -hmm. So he goes, if a troop and then lets people, lets that kind of just hang and gets the laugh off of troop before Mm -hmm. he then goes into the Subway, uh, you know, scenario. And this is the kind of like, this is where it starts. I am not a huge NBA fan. I like to follow stories <laughs> a little bit, but I sent you both the, uh, did, did either of you get a chance to watch yeah. those James Harden clips that I, yeah, sent? Well, I, I, I watched it, but I got to tell you, I do not understand anything about <laughs> sports. You can tell me the rules up and down. I don't understand why any game exists where you're not really winning anything. I understand they get money and stuff, but <laughs> yeah. not, what are you doing? You're doing all this stuff for what? For some endorphins? <laughs> <laughs> endorphins are overrated. You've heard, you heard it here first from Tim Barnes. So, no, Madeline, you're also... No, I didn't yeah. see it. I just noticed this email because I was very distracted yesterday. I'm sorry. Okay. Can you yeah, describe no. it? Yeah, yeah. well, so, right, I knew I was dealing with two two (laughs) non-sports guys, fair, too. But so, James Harden is a basketball player who's like, um, (laughs) 
Okay, well, now I'm describing to the audience members as well, Madeline. But uh, so, so he's got this move, this step back three pointer, right? Where mm. it's like, you know, you got five guys on a basketball team. This is essentially a James Harden solo play. He's mm-hmm. he's like he's just faking the direction he's going a lot. He's using his dribbles not to just keep the ball going, but to like attack his opponents and to like make them think he's going to do different things. So and then he fakes that he's going to like drive to the basket, then pulls back and takes a three-point shot. And this faking motion gets like grown NBA player men to just fall onto the ground, right? And so this Harden-esque move, this this step back is what I feel happens in a joke like the Subway Troops joke. He's using Troop to be like, oh, I can get the audience to like fall for just the joke, Mm. the silly word Troop, before he pulls back and is like, Oh, the real joke is about how one of his favorite themes is like, you know, we pretend to care, you know, Mm. but in, in eight, he's starting to like personalize it more and making a more like I pretend to care, uh, which I think makes it hit a little bit harder. I see. Then he also material wise, uh, there is more grandpa cheating material, but this is generalized. He's talking about like all of our grandpas Mm. cheating. And then he ends the special by saying, after a long pause, the only thing weirder than finding out your father has a second family is finding out you guys are that second family. And then Mm. there's a pause. He says, what else should we talk about? And in a nod, not, I cannot believe it's an intentional nod, but we just talked about the movie Cruising Mm -hmm. with Al Pacino last week. Have you seen Cruising? I, I don't think so. No. What's it about? Is it it's about a, uh, cruising on the water, cruising on the road? Cruising... <laughs> keep going, keep going. Is Snoopy it's... Robinson's... Uh, uh... If only... It's Al Pacino <laughs> goes undercover in the leather scene of the wow. 1980s as like a gay... Wow. As a, as a gay man. Yeah, okay. late 70s. 70s. Yeah, right. I see you, Al Pacino. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) But so in at the end of cruising, Al Pacino's staring in a mirror and then he connects with the uh, camera. He makes like direct eye contact with the camera. Mm -hmm. And so Gerard, after he says, what else should we talk about? Makes direct eye contact with the camera. So just just a nice little uh, just a nice little Easter egg there. Yeah. Then that's an eight you're saying. That is at the end of eight. Okay, because that move is made in Rathaniel as well. Right? Twice, so, yes, yes. Twice, okay, great. And then, yes, yes. So, in, then a brief nod to these two little, not not comedy specials. I mean, one of them is called Home Videos, and that's essentially mm-hmm. what they are. It's Home Videos and Sermon on the Mount, these little docu-specials um, uh, of Gerard talking to members of his family Mm-hmm. comes out one in May, one in June of 2019. He's talking to his family about various things, but two, the two big points is at the end of home videos, he asks his mom if she has ever been attracted to a woman and mm-hmm. says that he has hooked up with guys in, a, in what seems like an offhanded way. And she's like, well, that's your choice, you know, and they move on. 
And then Sermon on the Mount especially is really about how his dad, Gerard's dad, had a whole secret family. Uh, had like four kids oh. with another woman. And this came out before the special. Came out before oh, Rothaniel okay. in 2022. Yeah. You look okay. you look at this shit in these two, <laughs> and like half of Rothaniel is in, is in those. home it's, videos in oh. Sermon on the Mount. Okay, wow, yeah. Those okay. would be too hard. To, like there's a lot of stuff in those, <laughs> so I don't even want to like fully dive into those. But yeah. the the thing about Rothaniel, okay, um, to to kind of tease our genre talk here. Mm-hmm. The reason that I wanted to talk about Rothaniel is because, I, you know, Madeline and I first got to know each other uh, talking about comedy. And, and I thought it would be fun to have a, a stand-up special in our, in our film and TV podcast. And Gerard, at the beginning of Rothaniel, says that this only works if we feel like family. Mm-hmm. Later on, when people like challenge him because the audience is finally um, yeah. really talking back, he's like, "This feels too much like my family now." <laughs> so it's very like a family <laughs> special, right? Yeah, it's about yeah. family secrets, um, and he's just playing with the form of stand-up. So mm-hmm. there's plenty of stuff to talk about the genre of stand-up, the genre yeah. of the stand-up special. Um, but th- the most simple explanation I found is. To think of it as kind of an act structure. So, Rothaniel is a, um, it starts with a thesis, which is just like, we're going to talk about secrets. And then he mentions that he's never told anyone his name. He has that great Toyotathon joke that, like, <laughs> is like the first, like, really hard joke of the, if any yeah, special yeah, had yeah. just that as a joke in it, it'd be like, well, that makes Amazing. the whole special worthwhile. <laughs> yeah. So that is in the first five minutes. Mm. Then five minutes in, he talks about his grandfathers and how his grandfathers have cheated. Then 10 minutes in, he start, he talks about his father and his father has cheated. Okay. And then starting at minute 10, there is a series of three 14-minute-long acts. Mm. Now, this is a little bit of an arbitrary thing by me, but it, mm. it, it was why I was not going in thinking that they would be of similar length. But at 10 minutes, he starts talking about his dad. At 24 minutes, he comes out as gay. And at 38 minutes, he starts talking about his mom. And, feel, you know, mm. how he hid this from his mom and how he doesn't know what's going to happen with his relationship with his mom. And then at 52 minutes, 14 minutes after he starts talking about his mom, he reveals that his name is Rothaniel. <laughs> um, and that's, that's the special. Uh, there's, there's a lot more to talk about. And so let's do that now. Let's chat. Tim, yeah, you saw this special for the first time. Yes. Right before we start talking. This morning. Yeah. Okay. I, I, I typically wake up at like 6 a.m. And so this is the first thing I did when I woke up. I turned this on. And I think last time, it's not in the in the in your other podcast that, uh, it's not recorded, but I think we did talk about a little bit off mic how um, I really don't watch that many stand-up specials anymore because they are such a facade at, the, <laughs> at this point they're, mm. they're like and i hate watching trailers for uh stand-up specials they're always like so ridiculous <laughs> and um i think this new modern scenario of like most people watching 
stand-up specials alone mm-hmm. without people other people present is very strange like even like back in the day i feel like most people had like some people gathered around the tv um for to watch like a comedy central presents or something but now mm-hmm. i feel like a lot of people i get this feeling they watch stand-up specials alone on their yeah. laptop or something <laughs> and now stand-up is so fragmented where it's like sometimes like is my audience just people sitting on the toilet uh, hoping the algorithm shows them like one punchline <laughs> right. right so i didn't know what to expect and i was immediately captured by the special one because the it's visually stunning the intro is is like sets up such a mood and such a tone mm-hmm. and um even compared to Gerard's other specials, this one stands out because yeah. it kind of breaks through what has become this like this weird facade of of stand up comedy where it's like um and uh yeah, he just really broke through the mold and I love his uh conversational style of uh of stand up and um visually I think there's something um perhaps symbolic to unpack in the fact that he's wearing this red uh, shirt that's reminiscent of the f- the first famous Richard Pryor uh, special. Yes, I was going to mention this. Yet shirt. he's yes. sitting down like Bill right. Cosby. <laughs> so, <Yeah>. so <laughs> I feel like there is like some sort of cosmic thing happening with this special of like forging this new future of of the model of what we think uh, stand up is and and what mm. should be. Um, so those are my immediate hot takes about, uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Madeline, what, what did you, you think the about outfit. the red? Yeah. Tell yeah, us what your thoughts on the prior, outfit. And I also, um, even though they're very different specials was thinking of, uh, the Eddie Murphy. Oh just yeah. Yeah. It, like cuts down almost to the same part of his chest and it's yeah. the same color. And it is really iconic as a look. Right. Um, yeah. and, there's yeah this nostalgia i wasn't thinking about bill cosby because i try not to think very much about bill cosby yeah. but this I, is me I definitely trying really to separate the that. uh yeah the art from the artist but thinking about right, the right. old yeah. school view of bill cosby like bill cosby himself uh mm-hmm. when you know um yeah there's there's something there and i loved how um how casual the opening was there wasn't this mm-hmm. big like i hate it when it's like a stand-up special and there's like a dj there and he's like yelling at the crowd give it up for this is him just like entering like almost and it, it made me think about yeah, that first off the richard street. yeah off the street and it made me think yeah. about that first richard's prior special in the sense that um he uh shows up on stage as a surprise like he's he's unannounced mm-hmm. and he kind of just like pops up right, and he's like, right. and he starts and this is like a, a lower key uh version of that where it's like it seems mm-hmm. like he's not announced and he just walks on stage and like everyone's like oh the show's starting yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah i love that right too. <laughs> and i i like your point about i was thinking about this too with the audience um how the audience is represented and it kind of in, it does seem to anticipate um, that we're watching this potentially alone, right? As you, and I think that that's a really um, effective strategy. Like, there's it spends a lot of time looking at the audience, making mm. you feel a part of the audience. You're you feel, I mean, the angles um, that it's shot from too. You're you feel seated in the audience, right? Um, yeah, mm-hmm. and 
it doesn't make up for the fact like last night I I had watched this special twice like before you know this week alone and um on headphones like cooking while my family's in the other room kind of you know like feeling very isolated in this little world that the that the special creates and I insisted that a friend watch it with me last night because I was like you know I actually really need to experience this with another person yeah um and it was really fun to watch my friend um Kendra just get completely captivated like she doesn't That's watch stand up specials that she often. liked it she loved it but she thought she was going to maybe like do something while she watched or something <laughs> like that. And, and it really draws her. you in. Yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah. No, it's like, it's a magnetic force. Um, so I was thinking a lot about like how embedded you feel within, within the audience. And it does, yeah, it doesn't make up for the fact that you're right. Some people might be on the toilet, but <laughs> there's a kind of beautiful intimacy to it. And um, I found that very striking. That I think yeah. the, feeling of you make a really good point about the audience the shots of the audience which i personally kind of hate in a lot of stand-up specials i'm just mm-hmm. like it's always just a cue for when to <laughs> laugh but yeah. there's a there's a yeah. point and it's actually the point where the sort of my my delineated third act starts before mm-hmm. he starts talking about his mom there is a long shot of the audience in a silence. It's just so it's like not a reaction shot. It's just yeah. Bo Burnham being like, here's the crowd. The crowd is largely like black and people of color. So it mm-hmm. does feel like a family affair. Mm-hmm. Um, and, y- you know, he's like being accountable to a certain community, which he gets into in the jokes about like having a white boyfriend his like vanilla king joke. I like that he has like <laughs> these moments of just like <laughs> right, right. Like, I did. I didn't know that until after I'd watched it once, and I was like, "Wow, okay, yeah, that does change how I feel." <laughs> really? I, there's a little bit of a voyeuristic thing that mm. um, I was suspicious of then, but I actually think um, it feels extremely respectful and and. Um, yeah, because it because of the role of the audience in the special, um, I think that he really facilitates that beautifully. Yeah, totally. I don't. Know. I I'm always no. suspicious of Bobber, and I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> you, really, you are. Yeah, I am. What I'm are you okay. suspicious of? This is so weird, man. Because you talked about you just saw you just saw. Um, uh, the Barbie movie. I did last yesterday. night. I saw Barbie. So I didn't do Barbenheimer. I did um, Barbaniel. Okay. Okay. Sure. Ah, sure. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but you were. You said you're not a Greta Gerwig girl, and now you're telling mm-hmm. me. And I'm like, not that I'm like the biggest Greta Gerwig fan, but I do think Bo Burnham, like the last special before Rothaniel that that I saw draw someone in the way that you're talking about with your friend Kendra was inside. I was watching inside mm-hmm. um, and hope my partner who's like, you know, grew up like a musical theater kid, like just started like paying attention and then just like mm-hmm. sat down the whole and watched mm-hmm. the whole thing. And so I think there's definitely something he, there's something, you know, 
Here's has. the best way to put it. I'm going to read. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I'm going to read a list of Chris Rock specials, and you tell me which one Bo Burnham directed. Chris Rock. <laughs> Chris Rock. Bring the pain. Chris Rock. Never scared. Chris Rock. Bigger and blacker. Chris Rock. Kill the messenger. Tambourine. Chris Rock. Selective outrage. <laughs> Bigger and blacker? (laughs) (laughs) Well, is that your skepticism toward him? Is it the artiness, Madeline? Or is it like he's too much of a like the good white guy sort of thing? Or what? what? Yeah. There's a white savior thing. And I got sketched up by eighth grade, which I still haven't seen. Uh, Oh, yeah. I haven't seen eighth grade. Yeah. But it was like. This is weird. <laughs> this is a weird movie that you're you're making, and I just don't know if I feel comfortable. What, what's the premise of eighth premise grade? Of it. Um, it's about an eighth grade girl. You know, it's, I don't know. There's yeah. There's I do I think know. I do think there's something. Of- <laughs> think of Gerard Carmichael's interests outside of uh, uh, or just like outside of his own stand up. It's like he's he likes these strange like he he. Didn't he direct a Drew Michael special? Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. the the last movie he was in was about like uh, two friends make a suicide pact. I think he right. there is still uh, some yeah. hint of that sort of edgelord um, thing that you were mentioning earlier, Dave, in, it, <laughs> in the things that, that he does. What he ends up doing. Yeah, yeah. He's, he's very provocational. Um, I guess uh, with Bo Burnham, it is the artiness. It is, um, I'm just skeptical towards towards um, artists who seem to have like an easy time rising. <laughs> you know? I don't see. That's, a you said like three different there. reasons no, really, you don't I really like Bo Burnham. That last <laughs> sentiment. Though. Oh, for sure, um, for sure. And then, and then, well, I think that I did get sketched out when eighth grade came out, and I was like. This is kind of a this is kind of a creepy move. This guy making the and it's very much a film by, you know, Bo Burnham like and it's a film about an 8th grade girl. And I heard some interviews with him and he's like I just really wanted to understand what it was like to be an 8th grade girl. I'm like that actually is fine probably, but also I'm just I don't know. I'm not with you on is this one, dude. Anyone else talking about how weird the, this is? Well, no because one else the way questioning it. The way that, I mean, sure. I understand someone not being questioned. I am the last person to be like a celebrity culture stan. Sure. I do think Bo Burnham You're I am doing that move with me though. <laughs> Well, because the the last time we the last time we you you we did it on Mike, it was when you said that all horror movies are very black and white about who there's always a good guy and a bad guy, and I had to rep for an entire genre. So now I'm just going to rep for one single director and say, (laughs) despite some skepticism, I do think he like gets things right, and I think you know the eighth grade thing to me, the way it was portrayed, he was like. I'm kind of tired of just making everything about me. He's sure, like, yeah. there's a whole generation of kids who've grown up online. How can I like get outside of my own perspective? So like, totally. But I do think there are like, I, I never saw eighth grade. We it might be about, the new we were Roman Polanski. James or Franco last week, and it kind of, yeah, it was all kind of happening in the time of you know 
people sure people looking at him and his you know but his, listen his man not all white hashtag not all white guys okay okay, okay but <laughs> white guys aren't a back. monolith okay yeah <laughs> I'm just going to circle back and say, I was skeptical, but I thought it was beautifully done. Yeah, you know? no, I totally, just come totally. in with a little bit of, and I think that's important. I think that's, mm-hmm. you know, that, that we should hold him accountable to, like, doing this right. If he's going to be in this position, he, he better do it right, you know? Mm-hmm. And um, I think that um, it is because of how he, how he embeds you in the audience, how you feel a part of this, um, this performance um and it's not it's not drawing attention to the director style it's very much centered around um Gerard Carmichael's like voice and it's so interesting his face main thing is just that a beautiful love letter to the comedian you know oh so there's think, so many beautiful yeah. textures very well directed i just want it on record yeah, no, totally. I know, I know. And I also yeah. wanted on record that I was skeptical about Barbie, and I thought it was really good. So don't make well, me out to be. <laughs> well, see, I don't. I don't even know what the terms of the strike are to the point where I'm like, I think I can say that oh. Madeline saw Barbie. Oh yeah, yeah. you know what you I mean. And I like, oh, we're no. not in. We're not in that. No, no, no. I don't think we're in that territory. But um. <laughs> And you're not SAG, you know, you can do whatever you yeah. want, man. And for those uh, wondering, Tambourine was the name of the Chris Rock special. <laughs> yes, yes. Uh, <laughs> we do a lot of circling back, which makes so, sense because the whole special, and I want to make this clear because I don't think it was totally clear from how you laid it out, which I, I loved the, the micro periods that you you sketched out for us, but... The whole special also is one joke, right? And all yeah. these jokes embedded within it. Like, so you don't find out the punchline that his name is Rathaniel until the end. I just want to clarify. Well, that, yeah. that's right? great. Let's talk about that because this was my third or fourth time watching it. And, and it was this time that I realized, holy fuck, the punchline yeah. to the whole special is the title. Like, and that's a thing yeah. that's a difference between the audience live and us watching it. Is like, we know, and and it works so well with this secrets theme that Mm. like this thing that's there the whole time we're supposed to just pretend it doesn't exist and pretend we're surprised when he says that Rothaniel is his name at the end. And I thought that was just a really well done. Yeah. Yeah. Match for. The yeah, it, it holds. Special. It holds like uh, uh, what I, uh, if if an audience hadn't interrupted, pointing out that he still hadn't said the name, but would have been <laughs> uh, potentially like an invisible tension, like because it, mm-hmm. it all flows so well. I'm sure people were thinking like, "Oh, has he said it? He hasn't said it," or they're unconsciously uh, thinking about the fact that he hasn't said what his true name is. And then right. the explosion of him finally saying it at the end is very uh, cathartic. But I loved how much the audience was interacting and how they weren't treated as hecklers and how it like enhanced the comedy and how it gave you this um, improvisational feeling to the, to the entire uh, performance. Like th- this is like one of those, um, stand-up specials that you can easily uh compare to like jazz in that way mm-hmm. especially in like the silences that he chooses and all all these things i um, mean you are hitting so many of the like 
big points I wanted to ask you all about this special. <laughs> the jazz thing, there's that like cliched joke of a quote at this point about like jazz is the notes that you don't play, you know? <laughs> and it's like with so many silences, it's easy to apply that to this. But I, yeah. my understanding is that he filmed it at the Blue Note. Mm-hmm. In New York, which is a legendary jazz club. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then with regards to the improvisation, which is related to jazz as an art form, that's the thing that gets me skeptical, Madeline, mm-hmm. is, is, is like, okay, this is, it, it is beautiful. I feel immersed. It's being like the, the, the organic way he just appears on stage is is very appealing and then my brain goes okay but everyone's but this is a special but they set Mm -hmm. this up so how much of the of that improvisation feels performative to you all and how much of it feels like genuine in the like does any of it do you feel like because yeah well yeah what do you think tim well i feel like there are some some moments where he's genuinely surprised by what people are are saying yeah, and I and I uh, as someone who um, who stand up is also plays who <laughs> plays in that conversational tone. Um, I've always taken it as a bit of a compliment uh, when people interact because it means that I have tr- uh, effectively tricked the audience into thinking that this is a conversation. Like my jokes only really work uh, by not highlighting the punchlines. Mm-hmm. So that people are laughing at things at a delay. So it's like a great compliment when people are so uh, into what you're saying on stage that they feel welcome to saying something. <laughs> and sometimes that can be a double-edged, uh, double-edged sword. Yeah. But I, but I, but I think that's another sort of tension as well. The fact that like that first shot of him from the stage, it seems you see him coming through the window then you see him hand him hand his coat to someone then he walks on stage all that had to have been planned but it look yeah. and it looks beautiful mm-hmm. but i think i think what i uh enjoy is this sort of like acknowledgement that this whole thing you can call him facade carmichael uh, <laughs> <laughs> is uh, you know he's playing with the form and i feel like yeah. acknowledging that the form itself exists is um is what makes this stand out as opposed to something uh, there are other specials where where i guess in a way they they aren't uh they're just so into the facade that you're just like, oh yeah, and you, you just know what that feeling of a of a stand up uh, special is, and whatever that cheesy like music that plays. <laughs> they well, that's the stage. like stand up trailer effect where it's like, how yeah, many yeah. goofy faces can we make this guy do? <laughs> like, if he goes, I, 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 yes. like, are you yes. gonna definitely yes. click yes on Netflix? Like, you know. Uh, but but I also think that uh, should we call him Nathaniel from now on? I can't tell. What does he want us to do? I think, I think we, he I, wants us I to think... call him Gerard. Gerard. He hates, okay. he hates, yeah, he the, hates name the name Nathaniel. He hates the name. Um, but I, this is like it feels like this is the key to all of his stand-up in a way because he loves um, um, poking at things and uh, and, mm-hmm. and and asking questions. And I have to say that I uh, found this special to be uh, surprisingly cathartic because I have. 
uh, similar uh, family dynamics in terms of like my grandpa on my mom's side. I have a lot of women that I call grandma because of this complicated <laughs> um, thing, and and I th- and I feel like it's connected to. Like he's from uh, North Carolina, right? So, and my mm-hmm. my grandpa's from Louisiana, and so this sort of like, uh-huh. uh, you know, you hold a lot a lot of secrets in the South, <laughs> and, and, and and you kind of do learn this this language and uh, this way to interact through secrets. And mm-hmm. I I feel like in this special, I got keen insight on why his stand up is the way that it is, and I feel like. Uh, I might share a little bit of a nucleus of why I am interested in in figuring out all angles on things and and figuring out like the uh, the power <laughs> the power of questioning anything in the realm of secrets is it it uh, um, sometimes the only filter is through stand up and I and I I also identify with what Gerard does throughout his career in that he seems to need the facade of a documentary, the facade of a stand-up mm-hmm, special, mm-hmm. the facade of all of these things to express or to commune with, like, members of, of his own family. Like, you kind of need these grand excuses to to do what's essentially a simple uh, personal task. But it, it, it's, That's yeah. such a good point because in the – I think it's the Sermon on the Mount uh, documentary – He's saying to, he had, you know, he's talking to a lot of other people before he finally has the conversation with his dad and he's talking to his dad and he's trying to get his dad. He's, he's like, okay, I know you had these four kids with Vernita, but did you, ha- did you cheat with mom with anyone else? And he's like, nah, it's okay. Like if you did. Like, I'm not attached to an answer either way. And this is where a thing from Rathaniel comes in because his dad says to him he, that he wants him to call it an affair, not cheating. Mm-hmm. Because – and, and like, in Rathaniel, he's like, yeah, they'd rather – he'd ra- they'd rather me say things like affair, but, <laughs> you know, it's not. And yeah. um, and so and, – and Gerard keeps going like, okay – fine whatever but like you can really tell me and his dad keeps like not saying no but being mm. like but being like well if you really want me to say yes and draws like no i don't want you to say yes i'm just not attached to what you, whatever you say and it's yeah. like and at one point he says to his dad which i think says so much about gerard's perspective that you're talking about the I mean, many people have called him facade Carmichael, <laughs> where um, you where he needs the facade of a documentary to to mm-hmm. you know reveal these things. He says to his dad, he's like, you know, I just want you to know this is a like you know I feel pretty safe talking to you right now. If you're gonna say anything now, is a good time. And in my mind, I'm like. Dude, you've got an HBO film crew. How do you think mm-hmm. he feels like this is the safest <laughs> moment to say this? And and I and I but it makes me think like maybe he is maybe Gerard is sincere in that moment and just yeah. somehow thinks that this that this artifice, this still very like lack of artifice artifice, mm-hmm. is the way to get to these truths somehow. Yeah. 
this is the tension of why I love and and hate stand up because uh, <laughs> and I as as someone who does it yeah. is um as someone who is pretty uh can be antisocial can be shy and uh people in my life debate the merits of, of, of those uh <laughs> definitions in some regard um the, the this tension of like clearly seeking attention the mm-hmm. clearly needing attention mm-hmm. but then trying to uh provide for others through it and not make it about yourself in a way but it's all about it's it's all about mm-hmm. you and and i feel like he 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 rides that line um as well in in everything that he does mm-hmm. um and yeah and so i i, I do think that th- that is sort of like a, a tension that he he plays with in that he tries not to veer too far off of but it, yeah it's like uh to make a you know a documentary about your family but um who else can do that <laughs> you know what i mean like who I, there is uh how can we explain how he got into this position <laughs> in his uh in his life as someone who kind of like appeared out of nowhere Mm-hmm. It's it's sort of a magic trick in a way. Like I can't think of uh of any other comedian right now who could <laughs> who could, who could do, that. Could do that. It yeah. is a magic trick. It feels like a magic trick. Um because it kind of I don't know. It do, he does raise your suspicions, right? And that is a part of um his strategy, I think, right? Is to like get to make you feel and i think that's what he's doing with secrets too as his Mm. theme you know um i loved the moment when he comes out um in the special and somebody in the audience is like cheering for him and he's like i don't don't think i deserve that i Mm -hmm. suck a dominican guy's dick and you're (laughs) (laughs) um like he's really i mean this is a coming out special right Right. Um, but it's also deeply critical of like what a coming out special looks like and, um, the kinds of, um, emotions that you can like definitely manipulate like so easily. And he's just not going to do that. Right. Yeah. Um, he's going to bring you to the precipice of that and then show you that that's, that's not the move he's going to make. Right. Um, like he could totally lean into that, you know, mm the those fag hags in the audience being like yeah you know or at least that was what i was imagining <laughs> like you know we're here for it you know they're really yeah. into into this coming out moment and i am too i mean it's like super satisfying it feels it feels really yeah cathartic to to see somebody doing that and he's just not he's not going to indulge right i yeah. found that um really compelling and i think that's something he's really sharpened at this point in his career right um yeah i get i'm trying to think of uh just trying to unpack how you know the cultural concept the mass cultural concept of gerard carmichael and i do think like his how does he bring people into his world and even in his early specials as fast paced as they were compared to this there was always this feeling of like oh this is my quiet cousin suddenly mm-hmm. like you know saying some some stuff that yeah. he's been processing yeah. and that kind of like 
eases you in. And you do always get this feeling of like he's holding something back. Or there's something, you know, in his first special, like what are, what are the inner workings of his maniacal mind? Then he ends up having a sitcom and that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but there is this feeling in this special that um, the there is a unique pause and silence after he comes out in the special and you, I, I at least got the genuine sense uh, that this cracked open the artifice and that, you know, this is probably the most public place that he's ever said those words. Mm-hmm. And that he is sort of giving himself that pause to process the fact that he's, that he's said it. And the audience doesn't know if there's a joke coming or if this is a joke or, you know what I mean? I feel like the pause on the audience's uh, side is like, oh, uh, one more beat of the silence and then we know like we can cheer or like I can process the, yeah, <laughs> the words yeah. that he just said. Yeah. Well, and towards the end, he starts to even call out his own desire to, to make jokes. And, and the end when he's really like right. digging into his relationship with his mom and people in the audience are even asking him like, do you think you'll be okay? At first they're like, can you give her some patience You've had so many years to process this. But by the end, they're asking him questions like, do you think you'll be okay without her approval? And yeah. like, and this is the part where, I mean, the, the part of me that knows that they didn't just film one, they, they can't have just filmed one night of this, right? Yeah, yeah. I'm just like, I'm just like, well, so he's not literally, he's maybe honed this a He's not, some of this stuff is not the literal first time he said it, you know? Yeah. And I think that misses the point, that tendency of my own misses the point a little bit because it's like, well, then he's a great fucking actor and that should be (laughs) like rewarded in, in this format. But the end is where it gets really not even performative truth. He's in the fetal position. He like, Puts his head on his – these are not like normal confident comedian silences. These are actual like defense mechanisms of a scared child silences. Mm. And he says like – that. he like laughs at one point. He goes, that laugh was fake. And it just feels like he's actually – that's where the like real tension – ramps up and the performativeness breaks down to me because it's like Mm. oh he's he genuinely does as he's saying like he doesn't know what his relationship with his mom he doesn't have like a it's it's not a it's a coming out special but it's not a and that's how i got accepted by my parents yeah 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 special yeah you know yeah he does seem freer he seems freer as a performer once he Mm -hmm. gets that off his chest Um, oh my god yeah yeah. I mean, the best line, I wrote it down, is, as much as she believes in God, I believe in feeling free. Yeah. And, yeah. Um, wow, so powerful. I, I did want to ask you, Tim, like, you're, and feel free to say, I'm not going to talk about it, but I relate um, as somebody with a Midwestern family about mm-hmm. lots of secrets being in the family. But I wonder with the South, especially, do you also have to, are you also tangled up in the God thing? Because that's oh, yeah. a really interesting <laughs> thing in this special. Like that I think he could he could lean so much harder into the God stuff and he doesn't. He just yeah. lets it kind of be an ingredient. <laughs> but I was wondering what you thought about yeah, how he treated that issue and 
Yeah, I mean, I th- I th- I think I'm endlessly fascinated in uh, black people's relation to to religion <laughs> and and yeah. God and 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 in a way, like our relationship to Christianity is like full of things that we just don't talk about or we don't um, mm-hmm. acknowledge the fact that we in many ways have been forced into this religion, but in, in also equally have added so much that that I don't think white people intended uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> into it and and uh, uh, have kind of transformed it uh, in many ways and have put in secret codes into it and things like that. And so, um, yeah, I, I thought, uh, yeah, I, I had no real thoughts about it. I was curious to know about what his you know, how the details of how he copes with the fact that he um, still believes and, and and all that. Maybe that's something to come in a in a special in the future. But um, I, I it felt uh, I was not I think I, yeah, I said that before I wasn't expecting the level of catharsis of just like seeing uh, a, a, a black comedian t- uh, talk about secrets in that way. And going back to Richard Pryor. In many ways, like this, everything in the special uh, could have been uh, said word for word <laughs> by Richard Pryor, mm-hmm. who uh, I think at this point people know um, was sexually promiscuous throughout the spectrum in his mm-hmm. in, <laughs> in his time. Um, <laughs> but the tone would have been very different. The tone in this special is that this person is uh, uncomfortable with with the, the secrets and in revealing the secrets thinks that some of them are wrong if richard pryor were to say these words it would be like yep secrets that's life we all you know this mm-hmm. <laughs> you know yeah. what i mean like yeah and he'd yeah. be strutting around the stage too, yeah 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 you know, and, and almost like proud and right. almost proud of uh, the, mm-hmm. a strange sense of like pride and like matter factness about how much his father cheated or had affairs mm-hmm. or whatever and so i thought that was like a a major difference and i think a sign of like of some sort of like evolution of the of the times and and how you know we're interacting well if you're watching it on so the right. toilet one fits a lot <laughs> i mean but but metaphorically you know like one fits a lot more solo viewing than yeah. uh I mean, it's also interesting, the special of Priors that you're comparing it to is like him in a giant theater. And yeah, like, yeah, yeah. I don't know what the capacity of the room for eight was, but the three specials, he goes from a very traditional comedy club to mm. a like theater, but it's a weird theater. And it's still a yeah, very it seems like intimate he's surrounded setting. by vampires. That second one is. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's so good. But then the. Yeah. This l- most recent special, there's just no, there's just no way they did that this much camera trickery. It's clearly the smallest space of the three specials, mm-hmm. and it's so fascinating compared to like Kevin Hart playing like the fucking Eagles Stadium. Just like literally, yeah. like how much bigger of a space can I get in? And that's just like not what Gerard is doing. I I think mm-hmm. his. Right style in it like in in terms of evolving the art form it's it's the intimacy and it is it's the it's the intimacy of the room and it's the intimacy of the way he's delivering the material that are both kind of well suited to this alienated 
like still pandemic-y, you, you know, solo uh, viewing style. Yeah. I love what you're, I love the, the prior stuff. Um, it makes me think a lot about like what this is doing with genre too. Um, because yeah, the look, some of the lighting and definitely his style of comedy are so influenced by prior. How could they not be? But it is also so clearly different, right? Mm. <laughs> it's like, um, and yeah, I think the I still have to be thinking about this like Bill Cosby decision to sit down piece. I was like thinking of like Shelley Berman. <laughs> I was like sit down <laughs> comedy. Um but yeah, the way in which he's sitting down is so important and the physicality and um yeah, it's it's really it's it's again, it's like inviting you to make this comparison, but it's like just at the point where you're thinking, "Oh, this is total homage it's like nope this is my own take on this right mm. i'm like working with this template and i'm gonna do something totally different um and i really appreciated that and i think it has to do with the audience because a lot of it does have to do with the audience because a lot of richard Pryor's comedy like i mean the huge shift that happened like after he left vegas went mm. to oakland like underground for a while he was doing for the first time like all black audiences, mm. right? But then he took from that, he went back, went to LA and started shaping his comedy around the fact that like he knew that white people were gonna be in the audience. And um there's like a that's part of the provocation of, of a lot of his comedy in the seventies, you know, yeah. it's like making sense of the fact that he has this huge like white um audience like yeah. th this pull of, of fans um that's not what Gerard's doing here right it's like we know who the audience is mm. and who he's talking to right um and it's and, also like he's he's yeah. trying to trying to commune with his own family and and culture in a way cuz i think i do yeah. think Gerard Carmichael um you know came out of the gate with a lot of like uh, white fans and right. that's mm -hmm. something that every person of color has to has to deal has to deal with uh um and and uh and grapple with um and this is this is sort of like a a coming out and a coming home <laughs> it's it seems like that's beautiful yeah totally um yeah, yeah it's that double move that is really distinct. And I was also thinking about this. So within this year, within the year of this coming out, he also hosted the Golden Globes. Oh, Did yeah. either of you watch that? I, it's my favorite. It's been a while. A, a show in a really <laughs> long time. I thought he was amazing. <laughs> but that was a different thing where he's like, not only in a room of many, many white people, but like, I mean, he's taunting people in the, yeah, yeah. In the crowd. It was what? It was like so fascinating to watch, yeah. but it's like bombing. He's like kind of bombing, right? Mm. And he was fine with it because he was yeah. doing it with dignity, right? And he was like, "I'm gonna bomb in this room, and I'm gonna know that people are laughing their asses off watching at home, right?" Yeah, um, yeah. Like the awkwardness in the crowd was something he he knew he was gonna um, work with, right? He's gonna make it an awkward space, um, but he knew the layers of who his audience would be at the same yeah. time, right? I think that's got to be part of his um, 
the 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 evolving he is doing um from you know stand up stand up of yore he uh-huh. is like um he he is just a he's a millennial you know he's a he's he's mediated <laughs> shit is mediated he knows that like where the and and it was as true back when Pryor filmed his specials that like there was an audience at home that would be watching as well as in the room but people just seemed to play so much more for the room and mm-hmm. think of it as mm-hmm. and think of specials as how do we document how do we be as true to what's happening in the room as possible? Whereas the things I remember hearing about the taping of eight were that people hated it, were that people were like, this is not funny. He waited so long to show Mm. up. And like, you look at the audience (laughs) and people are smiling. So maybe this was just a small online Mm. piece of people, but like there was some talk of like a disconnect between how, it felt in the room and how it comes off Yeah, watching it. And I think he's super aware of that and is just like, yeah, I can bomb at the Golden Globes. And this is not, you know, he saw, he's, I'm sure yeah. saw that Colbert, um, what was the, um, the White House press correspondence dinner that was like the first one I really became aware of where Colbert is like going at George mm-hmm. W. Bush. And it's just like he's clearly bombing, but we're all like early YouTube days, like, what the fuck? This is crazy, you know? And like, so he's aware that that's a possibility now. And the ways of watching have changed and people are watching so constantly that he's, yeah, folded in the auteur director side of himself into his stand up persona. Yeah. Yeah. And him as a millennial, too, I think, uh, what I, <laughs> the sense I get uh, from everything that he does is that, oh, yeah, everything is like melting before his eyes as well as he's on stage. Like, you know what I mean? Like, all the, because we're all like experiencing like, you know, industries and everything melts. And I get the sense like, yeah, stand, the concept of a stand up special has melted for him. He's just a guy walking on stage to say stuff. Like, he doesn't, the the presentation of it um, doesn't matter as much anymore. And yeah, you know what I mean? And, and I feel like even like getting the audience a little uncomfortable before he goes on stage, in one sense, I can't imagine being quite annoying, but then also I think works works for his, for a sort of point that he's, he's making. Um, I do imagine, I've never met him in, in, in real life, but I do imagine that he does, uh, you know, I, I can imagine him being... Uh, annoying and fascinating and in both interesting <laughs> both uh, interesting ways you know <laughs> absolutely yeah so what do you think about i know madeline you had brought this up in my summary about wanting to talk about these moments of eye contact with the camera mm, um there's yeah. i noticed that they happen um when he's talking about his mom um he oh. like at, like where I, where where did I find? He's like, yeah. He said yes. He says at like he knows she'll see this, and then he looks at the camera, mm-hmm. wow. and then there was another moment, like five minutes later, when he 
when he looks at the camera again. again. But what did the two of you make? To me, it almost felt like he was like picking back up from the end of eight. He's like, so what else Mm -hmm. do we got to talk about? This is the shit we need to talk about. And like, mom, I hope you're watching. I need to talk to you about this shit. Um, But what did you two think about those that move? Somehow it didn't stand out as much to me. I think I didn't Mm -hmm. notice that eye contact happened throughout the special, but it didn't, um, it wasn't, uh, it didn't stand out as much. But I do think, yeah, he's probably, you know, doing these things purposefully. I think he's a pretty meta uh, comedian in a way. And he's like looking, you know, his mom is watching it. Maybe he's giving direct eye contact with his uh, mom through her cell phone on the toilet at the moment. Or, uh, Um, yeah yeah it does seem like when you said that it's like yeah he's looking at his mom i feel it now i didn't i didn't appreciate that as much but it is folding us into this audience right and Mm -hmm. that's that's the dramatic effect each time he he does it um um so it's just yeah it's it it really is an incredible special. I don't think I've seen a special that was that about its audience, you mm. know, in which the audience was so much a part of of the performance. It's kind of fun in a way, and I feel like we're so used to this idea of uh, of uh, of comedians, you know, attacking anyone who speaks out loud during right. their set or whatever. Yeah. But there is like <laughs> there is a lot to mine when the opposite happens, and you have to kind of, you know mold that scenario in in the perfect way but the idea of um you know stand up as like a socratic dialogue uh, i if if this kind of like took off in a way of of like more of these sorts of uh almost like discussion specials i'd mm-hmm. i'd be interested in seeing how that how that would go as long as the audience actually cares about what you're saying but right. it, it adds like a it adds like a, an interesting wrinkle too because um people are so invested that they're asking these genuine questions and there's genuine concern behind it or a genuine, you know, um, mm-hmm. piece of advice or a suggestion. <laughs> right. Seeing what, where, where that goes. Yeah. It's, it's, yeah, it's the things that you would usually like go through before you present the pristine special without all that stuff. But I feel like every comic goes through certain things where like, oh yeah, this is like some audience interaction led me to this, this gold. Um, yeah. Yeah. And you mentioned the magic trick and I I love that, but and I don't want to be the person who's like how did the magic trick work? But do you think that the audience was were plants? You no, know, do you think those lines were, yeah, <laughs> were yeah. planted? Cuz yeah. I definitely was like <laughs> okay, how did they do this? Like Yeah. Some people got some index cards that have <laughs> specific questions. <laughs> it's like <laughs> Yeah. I mean, these were two uh, likely right? just like two at least two different recordings spliced together. So right. either all the questions happen in one or it's a mixture of the two, so that's an, right. something to think about. Mm-hmm. Um I mean, it's yeah. just so tough. I I think I remember, I remember that being a question that people, Mm -hmm. myself included, had fun like considering. But Mm -hmm. knowing the way that I've done that stuff has always been, and and the way I've seen like, do you know Martin Urbano? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. The way that he does it too is with like, um, literally giving a script or a note card (laughs) to someone. You know what I mean? From (laughs) the stage, it just. It just would have to be 
a real like the way of coaching this and like infusing it into this the the le- it like if that were the case it means that it it, it is worthy of praise the level of <laughs> acting yeah, yeah. and yeah. and yeah. naturalness they've y- y- that I is a feat in and of itself yeah. yeah i ended yeah. up feeling it was like even if this was acted yeah. Good on them. Yeah, right, right. <laughs> it felt like really a. It did feel well. like a bit of like a casual press conference, you know, like totally, <laughs> totally. He's, he's like seated. That's a good like genre, a, like p- the- potential genre <laughs> yeah. name, yeah, right yeah, that's there. That's a really good one. Yeah. <laughs> but I also think that there are some moments. I want to know what you all think about, um, because you know I like crammed all this stuff in last night, not intentionally, mm. but I was just like you know watched like must have five or six hours of Gerard's stuff yesterday and like wow. Um, and it was, it's really interesting to see him growing into the thing he is always kind of, you know, known as this like deliberate, whatever, um, this, this, you know, jazz notes, he's jokes, he's not telling sort of comedian. Mm -hmm. And it, it was just really, I, I, I don't I don't know. I I, I want to think about his relationship to the audience and the level of provocation. I was like, is this a boxing match? Is what mm. I felt like. It definitely feels like it's a boxing match with himself in some ways, with his family in other ways. But there are he doesn't react to everything the kind of like you said, Madeline, about like when the audience gives him the love and he's like, I'm trying to figure out how to accept that love. Mm-hmm. He's not always right. just taking what they're saying. Like some, like Mm-mm. sometimes he throws it back, <laughs> and stuff about his mom. Even he, he's like, you know, like when someone's like, "Oh, people can change," and then he has that joke about uh, the ninety-year-old who got a college degree, and he's like, "Good luck out in the job market." He's like, "That's how mm-hmm. I feel about her changing as a sixty-year-old Christian woman towards, mm-hmm. you know, me being gay," and. And that's the kind of thing where I'm like, okay, no matter what someone said, he had that joke ready to go oh, yeah. at some point. But like, he didn't just go. He wasn't totally open. He he was driving towards certain points. So when people say sh- she can change, he's not fully accepting. He's like, he's he's not going. But what would that look like, or how? Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Which is. Not a shortcoming. It's just interesting to note. And I, I wanted to know if either of you had thoughts about the level of adversarialness to his relationship to the audience. Mm-hmm. I, I thought I, I loved it. I thought, uh, <laughs> I thought like, thought did you feel fast, like yeah. he was tight with that? Because then that woman is like, we still don't know your real name. And and yeah, that's yeah, when he's yeah. like, you feel like too much like my family. Yeah, yeah. Well, I loved that. that <laughs> yeah, I thought, yeah. Yeah, because it was, and I actually thought it added more power to the the, uh, the end reveal of it. Because <laughs> it mm-hmm. it's almost like a moment where where he, he, maybe he would have had some sort of quip or joke to to hint at the fact that he still hadn't said it. You know right. what I mean? Right. Um uh and it and it in a sense, it's like similar to what I was saying before it was a it was a odd compliment in the fact that it acknowledged that this thing that he kind of 
tricked everyone into was working like people were yeah. like were thinking about what his name was <laughs> um yeah. and i feel like it those moments like uh amp up uh, a performance they make you feel in the moment and live when they're even like i mean it, it when someone heckles a comedian even in a bad way there's a spike of adrenaline the audience has. Mm-hmm. And I've been in the audience where it's like, how is he going to get out of this? Right. And yeah. then as a comedian watching, you're like, how is he going to get this person to stop talking without being too mean that the audience doesn't turn on, mm-hmm. on them and then get back into uh, fun? <laughs> and, yeah. Yeah. Get back into the set course of events that you had planned. It, it's like... Exciting, exciting to watch. So it ke- it kept the special alive. I felt like, yeah, yeah. I I completely agree. I wasn't. I didn't find it to be about like you said boxing. Well, it was more like there is delicacy, like in moments. But like boxing that, lovers like, say that boxing is a very oh, like right. beautiful. It's a dance. Yeah, it's a dance. yeah. <laughs> right. Okay, so I'm not going to go into. Sports. I let's have to we've, teach you guys really sports like this whole time. Sports today. Yeah. Um, but I was thinking, I mean, maybe this is a good time to talk about family and yes. um, what it's doing with family, because I think he wants it to be like family. He asked them to be like family, but they aren't, they actually aren't family too, right? And it's it's about a critique of what family looks like and how family works, right? And like, that families are stitched together through secret, uh, secrecy and... um shame and fear um and um i was really struck by that because i i was feeling like well how do i okay admittedly i've been doing some uh promotion of my friend's book on family abolition this week so i mm. couldn't help but really think uh michelle o'brien previous guest um family abolition capitalism and the communizing of care pluto press 2023 okay Ooh. um but I was thinking a lot about this concept that she writes about, which is the family ideal, which is, you know, like no family um, fully reflects the family ideal. The family ideal is this thing that hangs over families that is um, structured by like private property, white supremacy. Um, It's a a way of normative uh, normativizing or norming, um, sexuality and gender and these type of things um it's like a dis- there's a disciplinary function of the family ideal like and um there's this great essay by Hortense Spillers called Mama's Baby Papa's Maybe um that's really about like how black motherhood is um a status that's that's created and granted by white patriarchy right mm-hmm. um that's that's actually outside of motherhood because of the ways in which uh, white patriarchy has also controlled the terms of what black fatherhood looks like. Um, so thinking about like the, the blood right that the, that the mother has to the child. Right. And um, so I was really thinking about like the, kind of like God, like God doesn't, he doesn't go there, but there's like Mm. this violent thing that the family represents, you know, that's hanging over the entire special. 
And when he says to the audience that we're going to be like family, it's also like we're going to be something like a counter family or an anti-family. We're going to be all the things that family should be, but that family isn't, right? There is something really interesting about how, like, with the audience, he's cultivating a different kind of family, even if he's calling it family, right? I don't know. I was just really um, spinning on that last night, thinking about... um, well, there's something beautiful yeah. and uh, um, uh, frightening about family. Like someone saying, yeah. hey, like a, a nice friend saying, hey, we're family versus your boss saying here at this workplace, we're a family. Oof. That can be horrifying. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. It's horrifying. And then the it's middle horrifying. where the Olive Garden says when you're here, you're family <laughs> like, and you right. kind of like it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's the breadsticks you're coming at. Sure. Yeah. Right. Um, um, well, yeah, that the thinking of uh, stand-up as a facade and uh, family in a way is also a facade. And Mm so I'm suddenly wondering uh, (laughs) I'm trying to get a sense of uh, Gerard's father's perspective on it all. His father who Mm -hmm. was the second the side family. I forget how he described it in the special. Mm -hmm. He uh, and from different people in my life, I can see, and I have this feeling too, like I can see through the facade of what, like, it feels like, like you, you learn how to act through, like everyone has this general concept or like idea of like, oh, this is what family is. But if you are in any fractured version of that, you, you, you can kind of see through that and you're, and, and you become sort of like, <laughs> fascinated by the the ins and outs of it so but thinking about the what you're mentioning from dave from uh one of the documentaries about how his dad had the preference for affair versus Mm -hmm. uh cheating uh how we all have these like uh coping mechanisms and it 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 feels like a (laughs) that give me it feels like some sort of insight into uh Gerard Carmichael's love of playing with words and finding the right words. The fact that his sure. father... <laughs> sure. Is, uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, you're like playing with the, the materials of, of the thing and kind of like, you know, creating your own strange bubble universes of like, uh, this is my family here. And uh, it's... Yeah, I don't. I feel That's like I'm not That's a very generous yet. reading of his dad's <laughs> of his dad's evasion of accountability. It's like, wow, his father really gave him a gift you know, of learning you know to play mean, with though. language. I mean, oh, totally, I know what you mean. Yeah, no, but like yeah. the almost like the. I, I feel like there is a little bit of that same impulse, right? Of like of 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 a sort of like edge lord comedian who like who likes to poke uh, around, yeah uh, poke around mm-hmm. the rules, and then the types of men who who feel like. Uh, challenging, <laughs> you know, whatever a marriage is or whatever, you know, I'm not trying to say that these are the right things or anything, but if it feels like, um, I don't know, like <laughs> when you bring up something like uh, family abolition or the more that you start to, <laughs> you start to think about what is the family, what is the structure of the family and, um, um, the, what am I trying to say? It feels like we are <laughs> in this moment in time restructuring uh, so many things, and so that 
that thing you mentioned of his father prefer, preferring the term affair versus cheating it makes me think of like all kinds of things now where it's like uh you know it's not cheating it's an open relationship and all these right, all these right. different yeah like yeah. we have like words have so much power um right. uh and yeah now i'm just maybe i just need more coffee if like i'm rambling <laughs> well tim thinks no, no, words no, have so much power everyone <laughs> <laughs> no 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 but yeah, re- they're renegotiating what those what those terms mean and and the kind of power they have over their lives. Um, well, it's interesting. Is is I, is his dad pushing at the form of the family by by having two families, or is he maintaining this old? Because it sounds like, and mm-hmm. in Sermon on the Mount, they actually talk about this like generational curse of like mm-hmm. it hap- every Carmichael man, you know, mm-hmm. has to be this way. And it's like, mm. and then, and Gerard talks about breaking it in Rothaniel where he's like, his dad's like, oh, my one son's gay. The other one only fucks his <laughs> wife. What kind of nerds am I raising? You know, it's like, right. is, is like, which, which is the traditional form of family? Is it yeah. the super tight nuclear family that Gerard's dad broke by having multiple families or in the Carmichael family, is his dad's view of family the more actual traditional yeah. view of family? And Gerard's like, I kind of want something like I was told we were supposed to have. Yeah, and yeah. that's weirdly, well, well, that's, yeah. Yeah, I think I have a um a very a very complicated uh, um something that I guess I'm I work through in my own life because like uh, um. I have a very blended extended family in a number of ways where like, uh, uh, you know, my mom has memories of like meeting a new sibling who knocked on the door saying, I want to meet my sister. And that's, you know, that's how, <laughs> that's how you like that kind of thing. And I have seen sort of the, I, I don't know much about the conflict points, mm-hmm. uh, but I have seen through my mother specifically through her wanting to kind of stitch these different, parts together like all i know is like the end sort of only focusing on the love and not the complicated you know really really deeply complicated emotional and and things like that and so i have grown up with this broader concept of family which is like uh like a i guess like a post-reconstruction family Mm. (laughs) like i haven't i haven't lived through what he lived through of like of of that element of it Mm. um I've lived through people who have figured out how to stitch something together at the end. So uh, I I struggle with uh, the hurt of of like, I I want the thing that you told me this was, and that's broken. That Mm -hmm. feels, in my (laughs) experiences, that's the middle of a story. Uh, mm. You know what I mean, and I'm actually yeah. like, I'm actually interested in knowing, like, with with Gerard's uh, other siblings out there from the other women, like what uh, what those interactions are like. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, this stuff is uh, an endless web. <laughs> sure, <laughs> it's interesting. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I mean that's why I bring up the family ideal because it's like actually no one is the family ideal, and we are all right in. A, you know, keeping that secret <laughs> about our family in some way, um, in, in various ways, like 
um, yeah, I relate. My mom is, uh, with her fourth husband now. I've been through, like, lots of different iterations of family and had different, you know, not quite sibling relations and things like that. And it is something that, like, you're constantly reinventing, right? Yeah. What does it mean? What does it look like to be family? But then you're also, there's also this pressure, and this is not unique to my family. This is, I think, what most families experience is that there's a pressure to kind of keep up this appearance of something that that you know is not quite what you are, right? <laughs> yeah. Right. Um, <laughs> which is, you know, really pronounced by, like, holidays or something like that, right? Yeah, um, yeah. And, um so I find that really interesting, but um, yeah, I guess one of the reasons why I wanted to bring up this really great essay by Hortense Spillers is she's kind of creating this argument. It's like all black families are s- situated outside of of the family, right? The family ideal. It has been something um, historically yeah. uh, deprived of black families, right? And it puts so much more pressure on the, the black mother um historically like as a figure um and just um, because of the volatility of it because like historically in america the black family could be like yeah we're designed to be fractured and torn apart and if you were to sure i always think about the fact that if you were to reverse the one drop rule one drop of white blood makes you white most black people in america are white baby are white (laughs) this is what i'm saying we live in a why do we have to see color you know (laughs) but the white captor figure sure is who you know strips away the black father from having a property relation to to children also right and so there's um like this is this is the basis of like racial capitalism in america Mm -hmm. right is like that um the status of the family is is something that's that white people can have and and black people can't right um and we're still living with the remnants of this and in fact you know most people can't have family in lots of ways right Mm -hmm. and it's not um at this at this point historically now right but we're kind of like just sitting with the residue of like what the fuck does this mean to be a family um how do we configure ourselves to kind of like look like that or or pretend that that's what we are mm. while dealing with the the shame of the fact that we don't we don't match up to that that idea um and i really appreciate so one of the things i've been I've been thinking a lot about with family abolition, talking to people about family abolition is, you know, the first thing that they assume is, you know, you want to destroy the fa- destroy the family, like, and specifically my family, you want to come in and destroy my family, and you don't want me to have the, you know, it's something that you can't help but take really personally. And um, part of the way that, you know, m- my friend Michelle is writing about this really powerfully is like, no, family is the only source of love and care that if you have it most you know um some people don't have that but you know in this world that's a scarce um resource so of course we're not talking about taking that away from you but it's like actually blowing it up and extending beyond that right why is it that that we only experience that in these forms of private families right and can we um move beyond those constraints and experience this 
in community in a beloved community. She takes up like Martin Luther King's concept of beloved community in the end. It's very beautiful. And I, I just really, it was really a magical thing to be reading this and like doing these events and talking about this and watching this special this week. Cause I really felt that that's what he cultivates with the audience by the end. It's like, we're going to call ourselves family because whatever, like language is imperfect, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? We can call it what we want. We'll say it's family at first, but by the end, we're actually going to tap into something that like family can't quite be and that we want, we want to push it to become right. Or like if we're going to have this language of family, it should offer experiences like this, right? Not toxic secrets and lies Mm. and like, um, coercion. Um, well, and it's interesting to think about the, like what, okay, what's the action that makes a family or that makes intimacy or that makes love. And it's like in you're reminding me of a couple moments from, I think it's from home videos. I forget which of the documentaries it is though, but where he's talking to his sister-in-law and he asks her very like in, in his Gerardi way, like you still on your black woman shit. And she's like, <laughs> She's like, what, you know, what are you talking about? And, and, and he's talking about like, you know, how can we, how can I support like black women specifically if they are disenfranchised in, in a unique way? And she's like, well, honestly, just having this conversation is helpful. Mm. And that's a thing that I am continually learning over the past several years as I like veer into some like organizing and social justice focused spaces is that literally having conversations is like part of the shit. Like, you know, you think about like surviving the apocalypse. It's just like Hmm. making relationships deep enough that when shit goes down, you know, who has an ax, you know, who can break (laughs) into the Walgreens to get the insulin. You know what I mean? Like, that's how I think Mm -hmm. about the apocalypse, but like the, just having the conversations is important. And so just the special itself, like by opening up in this way is an act of, if you turn family into a verb, he's like mm. familying this audience by yes, having this conversation. Yes. I love that. Although it's yeah. it, it, the, the other thing it makes me think of from home videos, he's talking to his oldest niece who he mentions in Rathaniel and and I love how he talks about to me I the love how he the, talks about being an uncle. And he's <laughs> and he says he's not hiding from his nieces, he's just with them. That to me yes. feels like yes. the purest Beautiful. because the other thing that, that like big can of worms here that I think is really unresolved with Gerard is his relationship to like capitalism and like mm-hmm. money money is a genuine solution for him in a lot mm-hmm. of ways, you know, like and he he jokes about it making you better than someone. Like if you have a better car, you're allowed to like cut off people in traffic or, uh, you know, if in eight, if he was married to Beyonce, she would be allowed to cheat on him, like stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I, I can't even fully unravel that, but it does. None of that is present in his relationship with his nieces. He's just like, completely there he's just with them and in home videos when he's talking to his niece he asks her if she feels judged by white people and she's like well most of my friends are black and he's like why is that and she's like well i 
I just feel accepted with them. And I, I feel accepted with white people, but it feels like they're trying to accept me. Whereas with black people and other people of color, I just am accepted. And that's kind of what Gerard's talking about in Rothaniel with his brother being like, uh, with qualifications, like, oh, I don't fuck with that gay shit, but I love you. You know what I mean? Is like, he wants the lack of qualification. And I think that's what ultimately makes it a compelling special because Mm -hmm. the fact that he'll never get that through a special. Like when an audience is saying to a famous performer, we love you, there is a falseness to that love that is not trustworthy. You know what I mean? And like, so it's a super compelling to like try to get there and try to facsimilate it. But it is just, there's, yeah, there's a disconnect there that's very compelling, but the relationship he has with his nieces seems to be like the kind of thing to shoot for. Hmm. Any thoughts? <laughs> are, are we should we should we head to genre reveal territory now? Uh, well, I uh, just I'm curious if has any thoughts on. I just remembered um, uh, him talking about the the point, the history of like uh, of women who are used to keeping secrets. I thought that was interesting, and that's mm-hmm. him like really um, trying to unpack how his family dynamic got to the point it was and and how you know the the language of secrets (laughs) has moved along and uh Mm -hmm. how different that is from from the way things seem now and yeah and uh think about it more it it's like his his frustration is seems to be more about the lying than the act itself i think the fact that his father was keeping this Mm -hmm. a secret from his mom and you know, kind of indoctrinating him and his brother in that secret uh, uh, is like the true uh, a betrayal. It seems that he's trying to recover from. I really agree with that. Yeah, I I found that really um, powerful when he's talking about living with it and eventually deciding to tell his mom. Right. Yeah. Um, and the fact that it had to his, be his choice. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, one question about confession, just because I'm, mm. you know, you're both stand up comedians. <laughs> I'm like, really, what do you think about confessionalism and like, conf- yeah, the confessional nature? Like, I think he's, he's definitely fucking around with that trope, right? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And yeah. What, how do you think of that as performers who, who it's certainly a you know, skill. It's something I've life. I've never been able to to master, and I'm a little <laughs> a little jealous of. And I like I was yeah. I I can never do storytelling shows really effectively because I couldn't handle the silences, and I I it's hard for me to feel the the worthiness of uh, personal stories that I tell. Like I, mm-hmm. um, I, I think he. He got a really good balance of uh, it feels like truly like a part of his like comedic DNA and it mm-hmm. it gels more than even his first uh, which by the way his first special was directed by Spike Lee I know so, yeah. <laughs> yeah lucky bastard <laughs> uh, yeah <laughs> um 
yeah, I thought it, it flowed well, but I, I, but I also don't know, um, the a confessional angle won't get me to watch more specials either. I think I still just like I need a lot of reason to like click play on a yeah. <laughs> on a special, um, mm-hmm. but uh, I think the necessity to click play is is mostly what's keeping me away from watching so many. I like the idea the you old, mentioned it, earlier of like maybe more Socratic type specials and like when with any um I love that with any <laughs> trend I start to then think okay well what's what's the like watered down hack version of the <laughs> yeah. Socratic special going to be just like people like struggling to be deep about certain things or yeah, imagining yeah, yeah. like stand up reels of just like <laughs> just eight minute long silences on reels, you know what I like? Imagine cutting this special into fifteen second clips is like so funny. Like yeah. given that it's it because stand up right now, the way it's consumed online is encouraging audience interaction mm. in a in such a fucking yes toxic but even worse boring way like i i I am so uninterested in i love like i love doing a lot of the stuff that he does and like really trying to allow the show to be dramatically changed if a person in the audience like says something Mm -hmm. but the usual form of stand-up crowd work of like what's your name what do yeah, you yeah. do for a living? Like you, yeah. you, I, 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 you, the, you, we have the opportunity to ask someone any question we want. And you're asking <laughs> them like what you do for a living or going, yeah. is this person sitting right next to you in a romantic relationship with you? And if not, you probably want to be right. Yeah. He's yeah, probably yeah, tried yeah. a million times. It's just like, it's so, it's like, it's yeah, like I did see Maria Bamford like do that pretty well recently. Though. Sure, but that's like yeah, of course she like, did. Really awkward when she did. Yeah, but like For I have no doubt that like I, one I'm of okay the greatest of all time is able to do that in an interesting way. Yeah, no, I'm I'm just saying. Yeah, totally. It can sometimes yeah. land. Oh, for sure. But yeah, but it's just like you. It, the thing about confessionalism though is like mm-hmm. it is it, it just comes up against the very like definition of art, the very definition of like representation where it's like, there's no quote, truly honest art. Like it's it, the mm-hmm. fact of making it makes it a made thing, you know? Mm-hmm. And, and it just like represents the, the, our inability to ever truly know each other, you know? So mm-hmm. it's like, I actually really value confessional stuff as a form. And like, one I think one of my weaknesses, Tim, is like uh I'll doubt my ability to like land the punchline sometimes, but I have mm-hmm. unfortunately infinite confidence in my ability to be interesting and that everything I'm saying is worth <laughs> being heard. You know? I mean, like, that's like my yeah. uh, you know downfall. And so <laughs> But it, but it, the thing about confessionalism is that it's really fun when you like, like, what a fun mm-hmm. way to start a joke if you're like confessing. Mm-hmm. Uh, I had a bit where I would like just get the audience to argue with me about like dark chocolate, and I would say dark chocolate sucks, and I like wanted to hear their reasons for why they liked it. And I started by being like, the world is really divided right now, and, uh, 
I'm just gonna go out and say it. I know not everyone's gonna like it, but I am gonna say it. Dark chocolate sucks. And like and, and it was just like fun to be like I like load up yeah. a real confessional thing and have it be about yeah. something so silly. So there's yeah, I, I love That's this. A good mode. Misdirect. That's a good totally. misdirect. But a lot of sh- confessional comedy is is banking on shock, right? And I think mm. that that's another thing. Like, mm. Contemporary comedy, like there's a lot of comedy right now. It's like complete hate speech, and mm. um, and it's not funny, and it is mostly about shocking the audience, mm-hmm. right? And giving yeah. a jolt. But and that's not really confessional. That's like, no, but it can be. I mean, I'm just thinking of like. Chappelle's special was really like it was it was taking a confessional style but very dishonest comedy yeah very dishonest confessionalism and Mm -hmm. I I think that's like yeah um that is I feel like Chris Rock finally started to get a little confessional in Tambourine and then yes post slap went like (laughs) went back Will Will Smith slapped the confessionalism (laughs) out of him But that's the really oh, interesting stuff, and yeah. uh, Dave yeah. Chappelle has consistently not been avoiding the most interesting things he could possibly talk about, because at this level of fame, the most interesting, people want to know more about your personal life. Like, if mm-hmm. even if Gerard, like, this couldn't be his first special, what he did just now. Yeah. People have no. to have a level of, right. like, interest in you as a public figure by the time that something like this holds the amount of weight that it does. And mm-hmm. like Dave Chappelle is just not getting like uh, remotely introspective, and maybe he doesn't feel uh, confident in his ability to You're do so that. Right. Um, You're so but, right. Yeah, he he wants to be the person like helping you digest, uh, you know, mass culture somehow, as opposed to like bringing bringing us in, and we don't know what's what's in there really. Yeah, and it's it is insincere because it's it's framed as confession as and as vulnerability like he's he's making himself vulnerable by saying incredibly offensive things mm-hmm. right <laughs> that he and it's like that doesn't work for me and this is but i think that um it's interesting to think about this in relation to that because i think of like a dave chappelle special now or you know he's not alone just all of these louis ck all that yeah Jerry Springer's I, I never watched Jerry Springer show, but I would sometimes see like the audience, right? And they would be like, woo, 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 like <laughs> fist pumping. Yeah. Like, that's kind of how I imagine their crowds, you know? Yeah, yeah. They are really like um <laughs> these like bubbles of hatred, right? That they're like yeah. they know is already there and they're just gonna like push that further. Right. And so to just think about like the character of the audience in, in this and how he's using confession and like that it becomes sweeter and sweeter and more loving and caring by the end of this. But I thought I found that so profound. And I do think it's about how he is using confession as a tactic there. Right. And he's also like in the easy moments where that could like give him too much love. He's also like, no, that's not the, we're going to like go for something actually more real than that. Like I'm not going to go for these easy um, applauds from you. Like when I come out, et cetera. Yeah. Right. Um, yeah. So I just found that like the arc of this special, like the 
place that you find yourself in with the audience by the end is just, it is just so profound and beautiful. (laughs) And it's like what I want comedy to be, right? Like that's the, that's why you see comedy in a crowd, not to like, like leave and like join the proud boys or something like that. Yeah. (laughs) So just one crowd on your way to the next crowd. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. Like let's, well, he really Let's, softens uh, them up, like you said. I mean, he, yeah. he he models the vulnerability. And so, like, their questions are vulnerable. You know what I mean? It takes, mm-hmm. like, mm-hmm. it weird, like, yeah. if you rethink the entire relationship to, between audience and performer, it, you know, every, normally we think, like, any contribution from an audience is, like, an attack. It's, it's, it's mm-hmm. dangerous. But it's actually risky for an audience member to ask this famous performer that they've paid and enjoy so much. During like, the taping of the special? During the taping of the special, you know, like, do seriously. you think you'll be okay without your mother's love? Like, that actually yeah. weirdly does take some courage. And that he's able to model that is really, yeah. I, I mean, it's it's just really fascinating in terms of, I guess his relationship to the audience is one of the coolest things, you know, overall, like his relationship to the viewing audience, his relationship yeah, to the yeah. live audience, all of it is really, yeah, it's special. One more thing to bring it somehow back to Richard Pryor. Yeah. Is, yes. um, <laughs> the, a lot of the special, uh, like the, uh, the albums, um, there is a an intimacy to those too. They feel like small rooms. Mm-hmm. You, you can you can hear the clinking of glasses. Mm. You, can, you you can hear like they're small enough where that intimacy is there. And there are moments where people say something and and he reacts, and it feels like there's like a sort of um, a build up to like his like visual specials and things like that. Um, and then with, with Dave Chappelle, I'm trying to think of like what what tension he plays with and it feels like he's released like six specials at this point and the 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 tension only comes from his heightened celebrity status and like mm-hmm. what is you know what what and you know what is this person but the more that he loses the the sort of risk associated with that which i feel like he's lost like this sense of like i can't believe this important rich person said that he might lose yeah. something and the more that he kind of shaves that off i i do think from now on he's in a in a stranger place than than he uh has him as than he knows what to do with i think and i am trying yeah. to think of other he's in a other comedians who've gotten to a close space to where dave Chappelle is now and i i don't um I don't think I think he's in a bold new <laughs> a bold new territory in that regard, where it's like he's yeah. talked about the same thing over and over again for so many yeah. specials. Like, mm-hmm. truly, the most shocking thing he could do would be something like Rathaniel. Um and he does. I guess like was like Bird oh Theory God, or something. He <laughs> yeah. does. Uh, he does. He does sit he's down like, and stuff, but I'm he doesn't. Out. Yeah, he's he's always like he's like has like a teacher uh, right. perspective where it's like yeah. let me you know, tell you some history. And sometimes he has some interesting historical right. anecdotes and they weave through, but he hasn't really yeah. simply brought people in for that kind of thing. Well, I it's a like. status thing. Like to, to be high status, you, you have to work really hard to make high status funny, you know, to be <laughs> yeah. like, I'm rich. <laughs> I am the teacher. I know more yeah. than you. The way to make <laughs> high status funny is usually what Will Ferrell or Colbert's old, 
persona did is just to be a fucking dumbass, like high status dumbass, <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know. Yeah. But it's weird, he he is like a like a, a like an inverted Cosby in that way. Like Cosby had the teacher yeah. thing as well, yeah, mm-hmm. uh, and imparting knowledge. But it was like no cursing, no this, no that. And he's kind of like has that same t- like he's like a. Uh, like I don't know, <laughs> like we're trying to find the right word before professor. He's like a fucked up professor, right? I mean, I don't think it's even that inverted of a Cosby. He's a very tenured professor, unfireable. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, but I don't think it's even that um, inverted yeah. of a Cosby. I think Cosby was arguing for a very cons- like personal behavior. Unfortunately, for the moment, aside, uh, yeah. it. it he was arguing for a very like conservative status quo preserving version of the world. And for mm-hmm. Dave Chappelle to be arguing and shitting on trans people so much, it is, he's also arguing for an older version of the world. That's just like slipping through his hands. It's just like not yeah. happening, true. dude. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. I appreciate what you're saying with the material. It's like, can you, you are obsessed with trans people, dude. Like yeah. you are obsessed and you've painted yourself into a corner. Right. Like this is all you ever talk about. And then compare it to, to Gerard's like, you're right. He's circling around the same exact stuff over and over again, but it's totally different mm-hmm. where I'm like, I see that he can add layers each time. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I think you're right. Like it would be so cool if the next special, he takes up the Christianity stuff a little bit more and he keep, you know, keeps working through this stuff, but like just adds another dimension each time. Yeah. It's a, like, it's very open, like, and generative. And yeah, Chappelle is just closing himself off. Yeah. And um, I feel like Gerard Carmichael has been outspoken about that as well. I forget the direct quote, but he's like basically saying like, yeah. I hope you realize that the way that history will <laughs> will look at, at these specials. Oh, that's good this to know. Period of your career, yeah. Because honestly, yeah, I'm worried about the money stuff with Gerard. Yeah. Like his his relationship really? to the money stuff. I'm just like, he's a very rich dude that that doesn't tend to go well for comedians in terms of compellingness <laughs> of material. And it's very easy. But he's not doing an arena show like this. Not, not at the moment. Show. Yeah. He's doing no. Totally. Right totally. With with what. And also, if, if, I mean, most of the extremely well paid comedians are white men. There's one, one woman in the top 10 list. Who's that? And who's like, the, who's the woman? Schumer. Mm. Oh, still? And I think she, I would think she might like have bumped Eliza off in the last year. Or something like that. Hmm. Really? I don't know. I just see her. Do you think she makes that much money? <laughs> I bet Eliza Schlesinger is fucking rich as hell, dude. <laughs> really? Yeah, she's got to be fucking. Ro- she has so many specials. She tours so much. She's in like, yeah. She's Eliza Schlesinger. Please fucking call me, dude. I just want to be your <laughs> your Tell lap your dog. <laughs> <laughs> okay. But no, anyways, I was just guessing. I don't know. You know yeah, I know what you're saying. Still, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know. Well, I'm really rolling <laughs> off the rails here. I definitely could use a, a genre I'm reveal. I'm just saying, like. If they're gonna have, if we're gonna have rich comedians, I am so up for Drod Carmichael being one of them. Oh, totally! <laughs> like I think he will be doing the right things with that status. Yeah. Um, but I do. I I understand what you're saying. It can ruin somebody. Yeah. It has ruined people. Yeah. <laughs> right. So, I think we should move to genre. Let's do it. Go ahead.
wants to go first? Uh, Madeline, do you have do you have one? Yeah, I think it's unsurprising. It's just family abolitionist stand up comedy. <laughs> mm, okay, love it. But, um, but I do think that. Uh, I mean, that's kind I've of already basically summed up why I think that. But <laughs> I, I, I feel that it cultivates that sensibility through stand up, and um, that part of that is like troubling what stand up is and looks like, and just like it does with family. Like it's it's taking up family, it's taking up the tropes, the appearances, the facade of stand up, but it's giving you something different. It's it's transforming the terms uh, that it takes on. So perfect. Uh, And I give, I I think that's completely Gerard Carmichael and nothing to do with Bo Burnham. (laughs) I'm joking. I'm joking. I'm sure he had something to do with it. Unreal. I'm just glad we're getting (laughs) Madeline's uh, opinions down in on audio that people will have in the future. So whenever, whatever happens to either of these comedians, it will be able to be like, Oh, it turns out Bo Burnham, you know, saved the family in Yemen and Gerard became a warlord. We we will have those things. I don't know. I'm just trying to, I'm not going to, I'm not trying to prophesize. Yeah, no, I know. (laughs) I don't, I, I I was, like I said, I'm, 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 off the rails here. No, I know. I I was I was critiquing a white man. So you I had to, to stand up. You had to do. Got to stand yeah, up I for understand. the tribe. <laughs> um, oh, but yeah, no, I love that genre as a, such a perfect um, uh, you know, last last episode of the season uh, genre. You know, and it, yeah, thank you, Dave, because this is the perfect end to to the to the season. I really feel like. It um, brings a lot of things together, and it's just a great thing that I want people to watch. Yeah. Uh, I Yeah, I hope to be able to do more. There are few specials as, you know, rich and worthy of discussion as this one, but I would love to be able to have that be part sure. of our, our our thing. Tim, do you yeah. want to go, or I have um, one as well, but I can, whatever order you would I can like go. to go. Okay. Yeah. Um. This is a this special is a therapeutic gobstopper. Ooh, so, okay. You know how <laughs> the gobstopper never ends. The mm-hmm. the therapy of this special never ends as well. It's layered. It could go on forever. It could be a whole cycle. It could repeat itself. Um, I just the fact that this is like a very um, I hadn't even like broken it down to the level of uh, acts that you did, but it was like I was like, oh wow, they're like two part. These are like mm-hmm. two um, therapy sessions. You know, the first one is about his family, and the <laughs> right. second one is about uh, him coming out. And um, yeah, and it, it uh, I uh, the evenness of it, even in that regard, is like the first half is about this, second half is about this, and then you broke it down even further. Uh, it was just like levels of therapy. It seemed like totally. I love that. It yeah. f- it like flows really well into mine, which <laughs> is uh, I called it a billowing rose. Uh, I I was gonna call it a billowing onion, which was basically oh. my version of the gobstopper. But I realized that a, a rose is layered in the same yeah. way that an onion is. So it's like yeah. you know constantly unfolding. I want the billowing. I did want to just it. This is the textures on screen are like 
touchable. You know what I mean? Just yeah. the the yeah. the curtains, snow, his yeah. socks. You can like feel yeah. the the yes. texture of his socks. And uh, so I so that's where the billowing comes in. And then I changed from an onion to a rose because the rose also has uh, the thorns in there, and that's Ooh, what yeah. keeps a little bit of the the, sp- Every the rose spice. Has them. Supposedly, nice. yes, I've I've heard yeah. this. But that's actually not true. <laughs> <laughs> well, really? There's like brands of, there's species of rose that don't have thorns. Is that true? We'll, we'll get back to it in the bonus episode. I'll do some research <laughs> about roses. Wait, so you just claimed a thing about roses and you don't know if it's true or not? This is why I'm saying we I'm can't sure trust can. the fucking vibe, the, the theories about Bo Burnham. everything. I saw like a yellow watermelon the other day. And that's it's true. like, wow, I'm Heck living yeah, in the future. great. Yeah. Are they? Okay. <laughs> so yeah. yeah, so I I, I called it a billowing rose. Um, this was uh just so man. It- okay, yeah, there are some thornless roses. <laughs> I just want to say that I was thinking about blackberries when I said that because there are what? there are thornless blackberries. You know. <laughs> That's not a rose, though. That's not a rose. No, but then I looked it up, and I was like, okay, yeah, that's true with roses also. But this is what I'm saying. Oh, my God. What a, you know, stay tuned for next season to see if Madeline and I will resolve her snap judgments of things she has not yet found out to be true, and then Googles to ensure that they are true. Whatever. <laughs> I'll also watch eighth grade to see yeah. if it's as fucked up as I thought it would right, be. Right, right. Your new favorite just, movie. I'm, I'm being very clear. The premise sketches. No, me I out. totally. It's the premise. <laughs> the premise is what I'm responding. I get it. I get it. I get it. Um, okay, good. Premises are important, you know. Um, yeah. So that's that's been our episode about facade Carmichael's Rathaniel. <laughs> Um, Thank you for joining us, Tim. It was really nice to yeah, meet you. Yeah, this is so much fun. Yeah, this yeah, was so great. You got anything you want to promote before uh, we, we you go? know, just yeah. uh, you just got my, a Substack. My Substacks, yeah, yeah. No, you got two Substacks. And I'm right? on okay. Blue Sky and <laughs> Threads and Twitter. Blue Sky and Threads and Twitter. Got a website. Website. Uh-huh. Uh, I'm also on Facebook. What's your website? Uh, just Tim Barnes. You're on Facebook. <laughs> Yeah, I'm on Facebook and uh, I got Instagram and uh, MySpace. Money mail. I'm on email. You got a Gmail and, account. Uh, Friendster. Yeah. Hotmail. I'm on Gmail. Not on Hotmail. Not, not on Hotmail. And, uh, <laughs> there is actually, I will say, we can put all this stuff in the show notes, but uh, Tim's good buddy and, and frequent collaborator, Ian Abramson, they have a really great uh, short film on Vimeo called Inland Empire. Oh, yes. We should link that because I just nice. love it. It's so watch it. so weird and and great and uh, yeah. So uh, you're great, Tim. Thanks again. It's great to have you. Um, and we will be releasing uh, one more bonus episode, kind of a mm. roundup, not about a specific, a yeah, sort of a debrief episode. We'll talk about roses. So stay tuned for that. <laughs> the War of the Roses. And I think then it would it be okay? <laughs> would it be okay to say? Uh, in the bonus episode, what our season, what season two will be, Madeline? Mm. Yeah, we'll reveal yeah. our cool. That will be the reveal of the of that episode. Yes, season reveal. Yes, because we have to have a reveal. Yeah, in each right. Nice. Cool. Well, thank you all for joining us, and uh, yeah, we'll talk to you next week in the bonus episode. <laughs>